So I want to become a dog trader. Oh, yeah? But when I look, I just don't know who to join. Yeah. It's a sea of acronyms, and it appears to be unregulated. <laughs> I want to know my money is well spent with me joining a team of dynamic, ethical professionals who have the same goals as me. I also want to be taught using the most up-to-date, science-led data. So where do I go? You heard of Pat? It's a place to go to become the most knowledgeable, skilled, ethical, science-based dog training instructor you can be. It's also one of the few organisations good enough to be a member of the Animal Behaviour and Training Council. The Professional Association of Canine Trainers, PACT for short, is here to help you become the best accredited dog trainer you can be. PACT gonna help you reach your goals. PACT is the place you need to go. Oh, PACT if you love dogs like we do too. PACT we are indeed the place for you. PACT it's time to take that leap of faith. PACT delay no further while you wait. Come find us at packed-dogs.com. Are you looking for the ideal gift for the dog-loving children in your family? Jack and Billy Puppy Tales is a delightful story with an important message for children of all ages. It's written by Steve Goodall and Sally Bradbury. You'll follow two puppies, Jack and Billy, during that all-important first year of their lives. It's had some amazing reviews from some of the top dog trainers in the world. Dr Ian Dunbar, veterinary behaviourist, says... I started to smile after only four pages. I couldn't put it down and at the end I could barely read for tears of happiness. This is a wonderful book. Karen Tong, dog training instructor and child dog bite prevention educator, said this. This will definitely educate both children and adults about the correct way to bring up a puppy. It belongs in the home of all dog lovers and anyone considering acquiring a puppy. You can find us at jackandbillypuppytails.com and join the adventures. We're also on Facebook, Jack and Billy Puppy Tales. See you soon. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about dogs and barks from the bookshop till we're gone. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop, we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop. Hi everybody! Hello! Welcome to episode three. Three? Yeah. Back again. Third time lucky, eh? Third time. <laughs> Third time lucky. Um, I, I wanted to start this episode by saying uh, I get sent uh, some figures, uh, like graphy things and bits, statistics. Yeah. Is that the word I'm looking for? Statistics, Steve. About um, where uh, this podcast is listened to across the world. And in fairness, there's loads of places across the world, but the one that really 
pricked my eye, for want of a better <laughs> expression, was um, we've, we've got one listener in Sao Paulo, we Brazil. Have. I mean, how amazing is that? That's mental, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you're out there and, you're, and you've made it to episode three... <laughs> Thank <hope> you. <laughs> well done. I, I would love for you to email us. That would be absolutely awesome. And uh, we've got a special... Hola. Hola. For you. Um, I'm hoping you're enjoying it. But yeah, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Yeah, it's amazing. Who would have thought we sat here in Southampton? Just it's chatting just... away. Yeah. And there's people out there in the big wide world listening, listening to, to a little old us. It's very good. We should maybe do like um, who listens from the furthest away type thing. That would be awesome. I tell you what, I could get. I could get a uh, like a map. Oh my god, and we could start great. pinning in. Yeah. Where people are listening. Let's do it. That would be brilliant. Let's do it. So thank you to everyone who's listening everywhere across the world. We've got people in Norway. I mean, I'm not going to list them all out, but it's awesome. Um, so thank you very, very much. Um, we've also had a few questions this week, which is exciting. Yeah. The a Facebook of, page is like getting a bit, a bit, of interaction. bit lively, isn't it? It's yeah, good. It's yeah. very good. So yeah, please keep your comments and, and stuff coming. Exciting times. Um, and yeah, thanks to all the people that have dropped us a review as well. That really, really helps us. Um, so if you haven't dropped us a review and you've got a spare two minutes and you don't mind shamelessly uh, <laughs> we've ar- We've stars. asked all our family, so we're running out of people now. So <laughs> if you've listened and, it in, and you liked it, then please let us know. Please, please. Give us a little reviewy. So this week then, folks, we are talking about um, a book that actually, I'll, I'll be honest with you, until uh, you told me about it i had not heard of i love this book you do love this I book i love you? this book you have waxed lyrical i have about this book um the art of introducing dogs by louise Jinman. yes and i think it's because we've got quite a mixed um uh, a mixed reading list some of the authors are, are really well known um and have kind of done the speaker circuit and yep. maybe come to the uk um and uh you know without sounding like i'm doing louise a a disservice because her work's really important uh it's one of those books that i think is is a bit of a hidden gem really um and uh you know we're going to talk about it more obviously but um i wanted it on the list and pretty early on because it's such a vital skill to be able to um live with your dog socialising successfully and this is a guide to that I couldn't agree more and actually um, I really enjoyed this book easy uh, really easy to read set out brilliantly Um, I mean I can't sing its praises enough obviously we'll get into it in the in the main body of the podcast Um, but um, one of the things that I really really loved about it was the fact that you know we we introduce dogs all the time don't we dog introductions happen all the time but having it um, having someone with with this knowledge because she doesn't obviously she um, Louise works in uh, Taronga Taronga Zoo yeah um, introducing different species so having that that wealth of knowledge about introducing other species and how she's approaching how we should introduce dogs just it's just brilliant yeah to hear it really really good and um, it it's kind of I think goes really well with Turid's book that we've already talked about yeah. and as it being a um, a very practical um, skill and I honestly think that if you live with more than one dog or your dog meets dogs regularly or you are thinking of getting a dog for the first time or you're thinking of getting a second, third, fourth, fifth dog reading this book will be a massive, massive um, It's indispensable uh, Well it is, yeah, yeah. and it, it it's a different, it kind of opens the door for a different way of um, 
introducing dogs and and watching them and setting them up to succeed. I think Truid's books reference in the back actually. I think yeah, there's a, there's a sort there's of companion like a, book piece. Yeah, where else to go? Um, Which is good. It's good news. Linking. Yeah, indeed. Keeping everything linked in. Indeed. So what's been going on in your world? I know I've been seeing uh, some um, some happenings on the Drax front. Yeah, Drax takes up um, a lot of my time um well on social media he's got his own page you see i'm like his pr team so um uh i'm i'm teaching at the moment at uni so um dogs are you know a bit of a, a stress relief as well um and he's had some play dates has. has been the main thing really um uh so my lovely friend uh, dawn came over with her dog cooper hey dog yeah, I don't. Um, and they had a brilliant time glumping in the bog uh, that, you, that, that used to be my garden. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah. Oh, God, it's awful. Come Every, on, spring. Everywhere. Hurry up, spring. Come on. If you're lucky enough to be in Sao Paulo, in yeah. England at the moment, it's quite wet and miserable. I don't know what it's like yeah. in Sao Paulo, actually. I've got no idea. I have no but idea. Every, everywhere is a swamp. And if you've got a, uh, a rescue wolfhound. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if anyone needs their lawn aerating, very happy to bring him round and and help you with that. Um, but yeah, he did he did so well, so proud of him. And um, luckily, he has retained a lot of social skills with dogs. Um, so I haven't done anything really to to help that. I've just kept him safe um, and and gone slowly. Um, but because we've kind of built up enough trust in the bank with with us as people now he was able to go up to dawn and ask for some treats as well so um so it went so well with cooper that we then um invited uh my other friend dawn i do know other people that aren't just called dawn yeah um although dawns are great um with her dog bailey and um they had a little play but also that it was just so different two completely different interactions for drax and watching him figure out how to have a conversation with two new dogs was just epic it's very on topic yeah well, it is yeah isn't it because it is. individual dogs individual play styles and yeah. how do we talk to one another yeah i like it yeah it's very good it's good so i've i've had a bit of a i was deciding whether or not to talk about yeah, this or not. i know i, think I was, as I'm, I was as gonna I'm say talking, how have you been but i know it's not been so we great. um it's been it's been a couple of weeks but we lost my older dog scooby um a couple of weeks ago very quickly very sad. It doesn't yeah. ever get any easier. No. Folks. Very at the, brave at talking the risk about of it. blubbing yeah. on the podcast, I might draw that to yeah. a close. Yeah. <coughs> Gone but not forgotten, Scobs. We love you. Gone but not forgotten. Mm. Totally. Totally. So um let's get into it then, shall we? Um and uh see all about this book. Huh? Yeah. Here we go. Uh-huh. Why read it? You might be able to hear my Jack Russell in the background here. Oh, Penguin. <laughs> giving her a little pongle, wouldn't she? <laughs> She's giving it all the pongles. She loves to give it a bit of lemon. So why, why, why would we read this? Why wouldn't we read this, why Steve? Why wouldn't we read it? It seems like this is going to be the quest- the answer to every time we do the why read it section. Yeah, I know. Because we wouldn't have picked it. No. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and, and we, we have read it and um, it's really good. It and is we good. want other people to read it. So uh, so why read it? Because we say so. No, I'm yeah. joking. Because you're blooming well should, you know. <laughs> um, I, I think it's 
I, and I and I don't say this lightly. I really don't. But it's an indispensable resource for anyone that wants to uh, introduce a dog to another dog, thinking of getting a new dog. Any any type of interaction where you're going to be introducing a dog to another dog, you can learn a lot from this book. And like I said at the beginning, it's so easy to read. It's laid out so well. Yeah, it, it's just. I honestly think indispensable. Yeah, is, is, I would. Yeah, I would go with that, mate. Definitely. I don't just throw that word around. I know. There, you know. I know. Willy nilly. I know. Um, but but it's true. Um, I, it's something that I've been recommending to clients. Um, well, since I first read it, basically, and I think there's pretty much no groups of people that that would benefit from this so i'm thinking of people that foster dogs people that maybe go around for a sunday lunch with their family and their mum and dad have got a dog and they take their dog around uh you know people that go on more social walks um and meet different dogs every day i was thinking breeders for giving some forward yep. information about whether a puppy's going to a new it home it would be that's got brilliant in a breeder pack yeah, yeah. definitely um so I, I just think it's it's like you have said it's really nicely written and you could easily read it in one sitting do you agree i agree and, and uh, something else worth mentioning is the cover's just adorable i know it's so sweet <laughs> i know so this, this sweet. doesn't work well on the podcast but it's uh, well you have to go and buy yourself copy so you can have a look yeah <laughs> well we can we can stick a picture of yeah it. I it's think I have it. I really it's, it's really it's lovely it's a really good book yeah um yeah why read it i indispensable isn't yeah that's the that's the way I think about this. It's very very good, and the whole idea, or one of the big ideas of doing this podcast, was that I would get to read more books about dogs. And um, you know, I've been a dog trainer for a while. You never stop learning, and uh, I learned stuff from this. Yeah, lo- loads of stuff. Um, yeah. So, you know, you never you never too long down the road to learn something new, um, and it just really it ignites something in you as well. I love that when you read something and it really gets your passion going, and then suddenly when you're doing like a one to one or something like that, you start quoting the book exactly, yeah, and it becomes part of your rhetoric and yeah. Your well, patter. that's you know, it's, there's no such thing as a new idea. You know, no. you just absorb all these things from everywhere, and um, I I think that even sometimes as a professional. Of course, we're all learning new things all the time. But isn't it lovely to read along and go, "Oh, brilliant! I did that." I've, okay, right. And it's kind of like confirming, yeah. "Yep, I am. I am in. Um, I'm in the right place by taking things slow and being a bit cautious in some yep. situations." Because there's a that we'll get to it. But there's a nice section where Louise talks about baby gates and all sorts. And I, you know, sometimes I do think, "Oh my goodness, am I living in too much <laughs> management?" Um, and my husband's like another baby goat really I'm like yeah but I know but then they could have that little bit as their own and um is so there such a thing as baby gate addiction I think there might be there's definitely dog bed addiction and I have that <laughs> um I'm gonna ask Louise about that in a, in a bit because um yeah uh, how many dog beds is too many dog beds really um <laughs> so well especially with a wolfhound you know he takes up at least five yeah how many extensions is too many extensions <laughs> I think is the question when it comes to drags isn't true, it? true let's be honest so yeah um it's brilliant it's amazing I mean it's been a pleasure reading it um it's nice having a reason to read these books and and yeah I learned loads and loads of stuff it reminds me of um when you do when you go to conferences you get sometimes you get speakers that blow your mind that absolutely like open the doors to all new things and suddenly it's amazing but sometimes you get speakers that are just like oh yeah that's 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 what I do and it's really nice yeah, to, yeah, yeah. nice to, um to, like you say get that confirmation yeah exactly it's always good to know you're doing uh, something good indeed and there's lots of good in this book so why read it just do
Okay, well... Another arrow in the eye. I know, another one. I'm getting used to it now, it's okay, the pain, the pain's fine. Um, the section, I'm, I'm still in a whole section here, it's like four pages. Um, That's okay. Okay, good, thank you. Doesn't matter how big the... No, I was just about to say... <laughs> <I should. laughs> Let's leave that, leave it. Okay, and now I have to be serious after that, brilliant. Okay, um, Wow. well, getting back to the book... Um, I I thought that was really interesting and um I don't know brave is that too strong I don't know um was the section on knowing when to abandon or rehome yeah um yeah, and kind of good... yeah give up on the not give up that sounds awful um uh, realise that there isn't a long term potential for a particular re- relationship between two dogs yeah yeah um because Re-assessment. exactly because um. That was a, a slip of language there, but I think that giving up has lots of negative associations with it and connotations. And yeah, you're right. And, and yeah, I, I, you were quick to correct yourself there, but I don't think you needed to be because you, you know giving up isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes, yeah, you know, you, it depends how much you put into something. Depends the effect it's having on every other facet of your life. Yeah, all of those things. So it's, it's not you know you got to know you got to know when things aren't working. Yeah. And when, you know, the rest of your life is going to be a stressful mess. Exactly. and For both of you. For, for both. So, um, you know, we talk about things from an animal welfare point of view. And let's not forget that we are animals and we're included in that. And um, if, if people are finding that actually trying to live with a particular dog um, or integrate a particular dog into their existing family is just not working and they have have read this book and they've done the stages and it's not day three you know it's day 333 yeah. um then it, it might be time to make that decision that that this maybe isn't the best place and i think um you, you know louise says uh, living life in constant stress because you're under continuous threat is not a nice life and no. it's not a nice life living with um dogs that you know if you accidentally leave a baby gate open or all hell could break loose you know it's it's not good um and i think it's something that uh, we shy away from a lot and um certainly i mean on on my new client forms for example i have a question about has euthanasia been considered because i want to really establish uh, do my clients want permission from me to say you, you know this dog isn't for us or you yeah. know um and Sometimes that can be the best answer. It's not one of the glamorous sides. Of it's what it's we not, do, but, but you know, a, a if big... it's if it's genuinely yeah. not working, then love love is not enough. Yeah. Um, and uh, if there's a, another suitable home, then it, it needs to be explored. Really. So I I really like that section because. Um, yeah, I, th- I think brave is a, f- a fair word because uh, you know I work very closely with um, people in in rescue centres and it's desperately sad when something doesn't work out which is why this book is so great because it it sets out how to make it succeed um and and if it can't sometimes it can't be done no you You could even arguably you could even follow every step in this book with the best will in the world with the best setup you know there's no uh, there's a quote which i'm going to butcher now because i've got it in front of me but i'll bring it back up in the quote section where 
um, Louis says there's no such thing as a failure. There's just things to learn yeah. from all of these situations. And as long as you're being sensible, you're 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 following the steps that they do lay out in this book. Then, um, then you know, you, you there's a time when you've done everything you can. I think. Yeah, completely. Yeah, and there's no shame in that. No shame. No shame at, at all. all. And you must also, if if this is a a second dog, um, you must consider the welfare of your original yeah. dog <laughs> you yeah. know because if they're suddenly not coming downstairs or you know they're not um as gregarious as they maybe used to be i'm sure usually there's a workaround and you can um uh you know change things up in terms yeah. of the environment um but sometimes it's not i see I, actually what i see quite often is dogs that have been rehomed but live with cats mm. that have had their entire world turned yeah, upside yeah. down because now suddenly we live upstairs and yeah. you know um, which you know is, that's another consideration um, you know it can be quite difficult for some dogs to, to learn to live with cats yeah completely I mean obviously when they're when they're younger it makes life a little bit easier depending on the, the personality of the dog but but yeah um, you know there's there's all sorts of considerations not even just with dogs I guess completely um, sometimes it's just not a good match yeah and, and that goes for the people in the house as well so the, the thing that uh, pricked my eye ouch I've rolled my eyes I pricked um was the section on bite inhibition um i i I really really liked this section and i wanted to bring it up and talk to you about it because i think there's there's still a few misconceptions around this that i definitely hear i do puppy classes and i definitely hear a lot about people yelling or yelping or screaming Mm. i don't know what the right word is here but as as if simulating when a litter mate would yelp when bitten too hard and bite inhibition, uh, inhibition is how hard a dog bites yeah. you have they, have they got the inhibition to not bite you so hard so they're not going to put you in hospital should there be something that you know i don't know you accidentally tread on a tail or trap completely it's like it's it's kind of a um, a label for n- knowing your own strength and being able to hold yourself back in situations so it would be like if i was going to joke and push you um, I would, uh, I, would <laughs> I would measure how how much force I, I needed to do that for a joke if I didn't have the equivalent of bite inhibition if I was you know not inhibited then I'd, I'd push you and you'd go Down flying because I am really strong as well yeah basically <laughs> she's hench yeah. <laughs> that's what the kids call it nowadays <laughs> um, and, and particularly when we, I, I mean it, it it pricked my eye um, about puppies because um, in here it says uh, two steps to teaching uh, a puppy bite inhibition that Louise talks about. And one is inhibit the force of puppy bites via feedback. Um, and the other one is slowly decrease the frequency of puppy bites until the puppy is preferably no longer mouthing by 16 to 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um I guess when when I when I'm doing puppy classes, I I try try to advise against the whole yelpy thing. I, I don't seem I haven't seen much evidence of that working ever, if I'm being really really honest. And I've actually seen the opposite where it's made dogs more excited. Yeah. When you do it, and suddenly you you've turned yourself into some sort of like massive big ap squeaky toy, <laughs> which doesn't help at all. Yeah. Um, what do you think about sort of removing yourself from the situation? Uh, like, I don't like the word timeouts. It's another one of those triggery words, isn't it? But I, th- I think of it more as a timeout for the human rather than the dog. Oh, completely. You know I mean. So yeah. you know, is is that possible? Would you would you say that's possible to teach 
a dog that you know the consequences you've now moved away from the from the game yep completely and when we observe dogs speaking to each other um that's exactly what they would do so um because we are um giant talky apes and our (laughs) main form of communication is verbal we we are naturally attribute that to other species okay um because that's our way of understanding so the that's where the yelp comes from because it we think we want to give the dog feedback and in our world we give verbal feedback and therefore we're going to do that with dogs actually uh, a yelp might happen um with with other pups or adults and pups but most of the time it's about removing yourself from that situation i watch it every day with all of my dogs so um Drax and Grew the other day they were in the garden and um Drax um got a bit too uh, boisterous and and confident in his play Grew does not like body barge play and he did um a famous Irish wolfhound slap to try and get Grew to run um and Grew you know didn't yelp didn't scream about it he just then did not move very fast and was sniffing some grass very very intently for a very long time so he basically yeah he basically went well if that's the way you're going to talk then I ain't talking to you at all mate and and off we went and and then the feedback for Drax was oh if I do that then that's not how I get to instigate play and he kind of softened himself and followed him round and eventually it ended up ended up in another glumph because grew decided okay he's he's yeah he's looking a bit less excited now so i think yeah feedback doesn't have to be verbal remove yourself from that situation take yourself out of it um and actually a a lot of people can exacerbate the problem by like you say becoming a squeaky toy or they move their hand away quickly and then that movement elicits elicits the kind of bite response again yeah what what about then in terms of uh a dog to dog in terms of bite inhibition what you should be what you should you be looking for where should you be stepping in say you've bought let's use the puppy uh, scenario again a puppy into a an existing house with another dog an older dog some dogs will let puppies hang off their faces all day oh, yeah. long others will have nothing to do with them so yeah. i i, I you, we hear quite a lot, I think, as trainers um, about the sort of like leaving them to sort it out for themselves, which I don't agree with, because I've seen so many times when a, when an older dog is being bullied by a puppy, yeah, vice versa as well on, on occasions. But I, I think the what, what would be some of the signs to to look out for when you should step in, and how should you step in? I think that number one always always supervise interactions like that especially with a young dog and an existing dog um if they are genuinely elderly um then it might be difficult for that dog to physically get up and remove themselves from the situation so they're going to benefit from having some time away from the puppy um the way i look at it is i i'm always thinking what is each of the dogs learning in the situation and if a puppy is hanging off um, his housemate's ear for 10 hours a day, then the puppy is learning that that's how you play, that's how you interact with um, other dogs, um, and that might not then go down very well when they go down the park. Uh, potentially, you know, obviously we can have different relationships with different dogs. And the older dog might be learning that this puppy is really annoying and one day I'm going to lose my rag. Yeah. Um, so I think... Um, 
supervision is key uh louise talks about it in the book as well but i I, my dogs are not left together when i go out because um you know unless it's it's um short periods they they have their own spaces they have their own eating spaces etc i don't want them to get annoyed with each other because the way that they might uh, communicate that might break down that relationship um people are often sorry to interject people often seem surprised by that if ever i've told them that i don't leave two dogs together when i go out because sometimes people have got two dogs for that companionship yeah but then i always say you know they know they're there they you know completely yeah yeah. and And, uh, fish and mouse will cuddle up together yeah yeah um and jack and grew i I leave together quite a bit because they're mostly just sleep but you never know what external influence is going to happen in the environment i know jack um would chase a fly so if a fly you know everything could be peaceful but then suddenly if a fly came in oh my goodness if all the dogs were together i wouldn't come home to much of a house because they'd all be um you know uh, feeding off of each other um yeah and they'd probably the fly would win because you know um (laughs) but um i think uh, knowing how to interject and knowing how to interrupt something yeah. in a positive way so it, you're not raising your voice you're not making it a negative um uh experience for you getting involved so you know positive interrupter kissy noises redirection onto a toy um um maybe not use time out as in the traditional sense of you've done something wrong you're gonna go in there (laughs) yeah um but more uh, yeah exactly more okay um you're being harassed you can go and sleep on that bed over there for a little while and i'm gonna take the puppy out down the park because actually they need a or they need to sleep or you know it's different needs different needs and and meeting them yeah yeah and i think um we'll, we'll talk a bit later on about uh fight bite ratios and things along those lines yeah they're, they're things that have uh that have definitely uh got me got me eye pricked yeah well I good that, that's, that's fine <laughs> i mean i think bite inhibition is one of those things that we, we think is on the you know puppy class curriculum but actually yeah. there's so many different factors that go into it and um it, it, it needs to be uh fostered rather than taught if that makes sense so puppies need time to explore and figure it out and a lot of the explorative behaviors of puppies that people would often discourage like snuffling around or you know chewing the table leg or whatever part part of that is is all about bite inhibition as well learning what those jaws can do i mean that i think i think you've hit the nail on the head there a little bit this sort of we we have this sort of list of expectations when we get a dog that is wholly unrealistic yeah i think um and again we're, we're going to talk about that a bit later spoilers um <laughs> but yeah I, I think you know um adapting the way we think about this let's be honest completely other species and not putting too much of what we expect and times we expect it would uh, would go a long way for helping our relationships with dogs definitely Ah, there you go. Uh, yeah. Shall what we, a uh, neat way to end that session, though. Well, awesome. yeah. I'm nothing if not neat. <laughs> now it is time to make a decision on the one thing you took away from this book. I'm going straight in. Get in there. Straight for the jugular. That's a, not a great expression. Wow. Well, um, <laughs> Unless you're else. a vampire. Yeah. That's, that would you know, that would be broody apt. and dare I say sexy. 
no. Is that vampire sex? <laughs> My wife thinks they are. Anyway, moving on. Um, dogs, Steve. We're talking about dogs. <laughs> um, it's been a week. Um, so uh, play styles. Yeah, the one thing that I thought would be really, really cool to take away from this is is the play styles. Um, and we talk about this in the upcoming uh, interview with Louise herself. Yeah. But I just wanted to break it down a little bit about the different styles or some of the different styles you can see um, and what might not be appropriate for your type of dog. So say you've got a dog at home that likes um, a bit of chasey play, uh, a bit of toing and froing, um, a bit of chasing, maybe a bit of being chased, something like that. Then obviously when you're looking at another dog, if you're if you're looking at an older dog, rescue dog, something along those lines, a dog that has the sort of play style of barging, shoulder barging sort yeah. of play might be too much. And the one thing that I thought would be nice to take away is is again there's so many things you could take away I know it's hard to choose one isn't it it really is difficult but um, there are different types of play style so um, they talk about the chasing in here which just talked about neck biting which is the wrestling-y type of behaviour cat-like play is that a bit like your meow meow like the little ninja you need to do the noise with that Um, I liked it that's all I'm saying alright I mean feel free to sample it (laughs) dress it up or something else and body slamming, which sounds aggressive and sometimes can be. Um, yes. But yeah, the, the point is every dog has its own sort of play style, what it feels comfortable with. And obviously if you're bringing another dog into the house uh, and they are going to play when you're out on walks, maybe out in the garden, even inside the house, this is a consideration. Completely, because if you want them to have a successful play, um, the, and which obviously builds bonds and all that kind of stuff, yep. then getting a dog that's quite well matched is great. And also I think um, watching dogs together and their play being adaptive shows really good social skills. So if a dog that would naturally body barge, barge play, meets a dog that doesn't like that and wants to be chased or, you know, be the chaser instead, yep. if they're able to adapt um, and find a compromise, yeah. then that really shows that, wow, your dog's pretty switched on when it comes to yeah, picking up single such signals. Such a thing to watch, yeah. isn't it? Quite, and it, it can yeah. be a bit clumsy sometimes, can't yeah. it, when you watch two different play styles uh, uh, kind of figure out how they're going to play together. Because they're like, well, I like doing this. Work, yeah, and that. I like doing this. Okay, well, what about if we do this? No, that didn't work. Okay, let's try this. It's really <laughs> sweet, really sweet. I, I, again, I think we, we talk about this with Louise, but the, um, my two dogs, they came to a, an agreement where Scooby would lay down... Yeah. In order to play with Penny, and that was really, really nice to see. That sort of self-handicapping yeah, type, it's type, brilliant. type behaviour. Quite it's, a it's rare amazing. quality, but very, very, yeah, very good. Who would have thought it? I know. <laughs> good old scoops. The other thing, there's a lovely little passage here. I'm just going to read this out because this is something. It actually comes under the title, Things You Need to Consider, in the book. Um, so I'm just going to read this straight out because I couldn't say it better. Uh, there are no hard and fast rules about what will work best in your home. Even within breeds, each dog is an individual that has its that has had a unique set of experiences. Therefore, when looking at what works best, you need to focus on the individuals involved. There you go. Book slam moment. Ham that up a bit. No, I love it. 
<laughs> I love it. It's great. <laughs> yeah, and that's great. And um, what about you? Things, well, my one, things? yeah, my one thing is very similar to what you just read out. So, um, it. Just go home then. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's just remembering that um, uh, all dogs are not made equal, and they have personalities, and they have preferred. Um, temperament play styles you know they're gonna have some friends that they are confident and trusting in the relationship to um, barge about a bit and then with um, new dogs they might have to build that that bond and that trust Um, and there might be dogs that they always remain wary of for example so I just think remembering that your dog is an individual and that not all um, companion dogs are kind of predisposed to just love yeah. each other just because that's what we'd like yeah but yeah you put you, you sit sort of step back and think about it again you're putting so much on them aren't you yeah you're just assuming that everything's going to go okay so yeah individuals individuals folks, yes just like us indeed a 10 hit practical applications ladies and gentlemen this is a tricky one because the whole book's quite practical, I think, isn't it? It's pretty pretty much a, a one-stop step, shop, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a step-by-step guide. And Louise says at the beginning as well, um, read the whole book first because you get the big picture and yeah. then then approach your um, dog meet and greet after that because otherwise you're kind of... Uh, because relationships are fluid, you might, you're might you not going to be able to stop your dogs interacting and go, well, hang on, I haven't got to chapter three yet. I need to quickly catch up on my knowledge. Um, so the bit I'm going to pick for practical applications is that there's a wonderful... It's brilliant, isn't it? I was just, yeah, a whole appendix at the back. page 57 onwards is yeah, just a... It, of further further details because... Um, uh, it's a it's a massive subject, and I think Louise has done a fantastic job to try and get it all in, really. And um, I'm I'm sure there's stuff that um, now she would add as well. I mean, it's certainly um, very comprehensive as it is, but you know, every day we're learning new things. But in the appendix, there's um, protocols, so basically lists and tick boxes. Um, for introducing a puppy to an adult or juvenile dog, introducing them on lead, off lead, introducing multiple dogs to a puppy, mm. and again, off on lead and off lead. So you can kind of have those um, tick boxes in your head. There's loads of enrichment ideas. There's, I like the enrichment. Yeah, enrichment really schedules. And um, for those of you that just like a, a list to work through, they're, they're actually... A really good starting point um, of how you how you get going with some of the more maybe theoretical ideas within the book. Yeah, and it's very easy when you're doing this sort of stuff to sort of just try and push it too quickly. And I think that this sort of like holds you to a, a schedule that you know every like we said before, every dog is different, but it, mm. it gives you an idea of the sort of scheduling that you should be yeah doing and, and where you can move forward and all of those sorts of things, which is lovely. It's really really good. The back of the book is blooming marvellous. It, it is. It really is. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Brilliant. Awesome. Hi. Oh, it's like all our Christmases have come I at once. I like this job, you know. We get to speak to some <laughs> blooming lovely people, don't we? Do you think you'll ever get old? No. no. <laughs> I think every week we're going to be, or however often we do this, it's just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I spoke to those people. There we go. I mean, yeah. So, Louise Jimman, um, uh, 
I'm just going to read a bit of her uh, of her bio here. So Louise Jimman, a PCTA, is a Delta accredited professional canine trainer, accredited dog behavioural trainer who runs dog training business Positive Dogs in Sydney, Australia. Very nice. Very warm. Very warm. Can you imagine? Uh, she has served on the APDT Australia Committee since 2008 and has been president, nonetheless, since 2012. Wow. Um, also serves on the PPG, Australia Committee. Oh, right, that's, that's cool. That's good. I'm a member of the PPG yeah. and the APDT, although I think the Australian version isn't the same as Maybe, the Maybe, I don't version. know how, yeah. Ah, yeah, you go. Um, yet, so Louise has several qualifications, including a Bachelor of Science degree, over 26 years' experience with both domestic, I think that's actually 29 now, uh, years' experience with both domestic and exotic species and both training and husbandry. Wow. She works as a veterinary nurse, first of all. Um, dog and cat groomer uh, for several years before moving to Taronga Zoo in 1994, where she still is now, where she works in the carnivore unit. Um, what a job. I know. I know. That's the part of the book, actually, that really, I think when I was hearing about uh, Sumatran tigers, red pandas, all the introductions and, and mm. husbandry stuff she'd done, I was like, I want to know more about that. Um, so uh, Louise's involvement with dogs uh, dogs and dog behaviour spans over 29 years she's currently is the guardian of a Shetland sheepdog and Siberian husky and competes in both agility rally o and obedience there you go Excellent. The author of what we're talking about today the art of introducing dogs so without further ado let's have a chat with her let's have a Can't chat wait. with her Hi folks, Steve here. Just a quick interjection. Um, before we get into the interview with Louise Jimman, um, we did have a few slight audio issues due to the uh, internet connection being unstable, apparently. Um, so yeah, bear with us. We decided not to, to stop and start the interview again because I think you, you still get the gist. It's only a couple of slight points where the interview goes a little bit robotic. Um, so yeah, um, I hope you still enjoy it and we'll see you on the other side. Louise Jimman. Jimman, lucky people. We're a little bit jealous because it's it's minging here. It's raining. <laughs> it's scarf weather. Yeah. How's everything going with the fires and everything going over? Are you are you near any of that? The media's calm right down on that. I think they said there's still 23 fires that are uncontained. Um, but, yeah, they, they've calmed down a bit, I think, because they, they were getting kind of – everyone was getting a bit compassion fatigued, like hearing all the devastation. And Yeah. It's pretty yeah. horrible. Oh, my pretty God, horrible. yeah, even over here. I mean, just, yeah, seeing all of those videos and everything. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, hard work. For us, you know, for us animal people, you know, like they say 31 people have died and – and then they just skim over the fact that we've lost billions, like 500 billion animals or something. Like yes. that number is devastating. I saw, I saw yeah. a video of, um, it was someone driving down a highway and it's just yeah. bodies. And yeah. I think a lot of people don't think about the smoke, do they? Because these, yeah, aren't, no. these aren't animals fleeing flames. They're, exactly. they're fleeing yeah. the smoke inhalation. It's just... Absolutely. Uh, one of our vets um, was um, went down the coast because his partner lives uh, down the south coast of New South Wales, and they went to the beach and all the 
these birds or the bodies of these birds were just washed up on the beach and they were birds that were spooked by the fire so they flew out over the sea to get away yeah and then obviously smoke and exhaustion overcame them they had nowhere to go back Mm. and land and they drowned oh my goodness so it's yeah it's pretty it's just horrific horrific. i think you'll be counting the cost of that for a long yeah time yeah yeah, absolutely well they think some species are going to be extinct after this oh no the devastation is so widespread We've got um, our zoo, because I work at Taronga Zoo as well. Yeah, we've got to talk about that. Yes, Yes. our zoo's (laughs) been working with the Kawaburi frogs, which is a a species of frog that lives up in the mountains. So they're an alpine type species. All of their breeding areas completely burnt out. So they they went out and had a look and they actually found 10 frogs. And um, recently they went out because they somehow managed to get way underground and not get burnt. Um, they've been working on this recovery for years and they would, the population was doing so well and then the fire literally just went through oh, and wiped man. everything out. But 10 individuals that they know of are still alive. So, Because what, what are they doing at the moment? So you're in summer, aren't you? So yes. have they done their breeding and they're back on land and do they burrow? Apparently, or... they're, just, apparently they're starting to breed. So our, yeah, our frogs tend to breed around you all summer. So okay. apparently it's breeding season right now. So that's how they know that there's 10 individuals because they can hear the calls of these individual males. Okay. And they've obviously found a couple of them, but they've now got to rebuild the, the um, breeding areas that they had for them. They've got protected breeding areas where they can't be picked off by predators. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, that works. Gosh. Kind of neatly brings us in. I've, I've already started <laughs> recording. I've done the podcast thing where you start first and you and you gradually lead in. I've always like that. Yeah. Well, otherwise you might miss stuff. Yeah, you never. You, you yeah, always yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. the good stuff before you start recording. <laughs> um, so, is it Tar- Taronga Zoo? Yes, Taronga Taronga Zoo. Um, yes, yeah. I, I, well, one of the fascinating bits that I thought about in your book, and your book is amazing, by the way. We love it. I and now- thank you, thank you so much. I'm like, I can't believe that you guys. Yeah, even found it, to be honest. I, I, I love it. It's it's a go-to for loads of my clients. So, oh, that's so lovely. You know, we're, and um, hopefully with the podcast, there'll be more people that can benefit from it because it's such oh, a fantastic resource. It really is. You guys are just so wonderful and so kind. That's really lovely. I'll, really let, you, lovely. I'll let you into a small secret, Louise. Um, yeah. I, I actually hadn't heard of it until Nat <laughs> showed me it. <laughs> Don't don't judge me. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm, not, the, I'm not surprised though. The kind the kind of um, the reason or one of the reasons that we started this podcast is to is to read more and learn more about uh, about yeah. dogs, dog training, all of these things. Um, oh. And yeah. and it's been absolutely brilliant for me. And that, your book was awesome, absolutely awesome. Really easy to read. But I mean, I've I've we've already recorded a bit of the main body of the podcast, and I've been you know. Sure blowing smoke all over the place so you'll hear yeah. that at some other point anyway <laughs> but um but yeah I, one of the most fascinating things is about the work that you do in um yes. in the zoo with the hub and uh, the husbandry yes. of all the other kind of species that you've worked with especially one yes. of the ones that really uh, caught my attention was the sumatran tigers yes I, we we wanted to ask about uh, just to start off with in terms of introductions what sort of species of, of animals have been the trickiest or or the most rewarding? Wow. So trickiest, that's easy. Meerkats are the trickiest. <laughs> really? You mentioned that in the book, yes. actually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they look gorgeous. And everyone loves meerkats and I love meerkats. I love social species. 
Now, I've just got a message saying your internet connection is unstable, so let me know if, if oh, you... Oh, okay. Yeah, we're all good here, I think, at the moment. Yeah. I'll tip you off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but meerkats are, like, they're such a dynamic species, and I actually went over to South Africa in 2018 to to, to go to the Kalahari meerkat project, wow. so with the researchers in the Kalahari, and it was just fascinating to see what meerkats are like in the wild, compare it to our, our guys that we have. Uh, I mean, their behaviour is pretty identical, but the, the difference is that in the wild, their lifespan just isn't that long. It's three to five years. Wow. Whereas in captivity, and, and of course, in wow. the wild, there's a high mortality of pups. But in captivity, every single pup pretty much lives. And all our animals are living to t 10 to 15 years. So there's not that kind of turnover of the group that there is in the wild, which keeps tensions down. So in captivity, you've got these meerkats that are all coming up a breeding age, but then there's nowhere, you know, they, there's nowhere for them to go. They're still in their family groups. So you start to see lots of, lots of uh, social hierarchy changes. There's females have got their hierarchy, boys have got theirs, and the girls, the girls are the challenging ones because they're, they're willing to fight for the right to be that uh, breeding female. So that's challenging. Um, rewarding, oh, gosh. Every species is rewarding. Like it's too hard. People always say, "What's your favourite species?" I don't really have one, but I have uh, uh, lions. Are like have to be an, you know, yeah. one of my favourites. Snow leopards, just incredible, gorgeous animals. I think in terms of like, you know, rewarding. I think it's when you have done all that work to introduce animals, particularly when you're talking solitary, because they're the harder ones mm. to introduce. Social animals are a little bit easier. But when you've done all that work to introduce them and then you, you know, you, you breed and you get cubs and mum rears them to perfection and you can integrate dad back in depending on the species. And that's probably the most rewarding part of our jobs, I think. There's a lovely bit of the book, actually, where um, uh, you say about snow leopards. And we will talk a little Ooh. bit about the time it takes to introduce um well, dogs specifically, mm. um, but uh, I love the bit about snow leopards. I mean, it's like, it takes as long as it takes, and that's yes. that's it. That's where we are. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah it yeah. does. Yeah. yeah, and it's really Can't interesting. Put a yeah, yeah, you have to do it. And this is the thing: we put timelines on our animals all the mm. time. Yeah, but but really, you know, like I'd I'd love um, you know for dog dog people to kind of cross over into the the zoo world just to see like. You just if you impose your timeline onto an introduction, it'll always well I can't say always, but there's a good chance it's going to end in failure because the animals yeah. just weren't ready. Yeah. I saw you a know, fascinating yeah. post the other day on Facebook actually. It was a I'm, I was talking to you earlier now about it, but it um, it was comparing a, a dog with a, a human child and the sort of time it takes for a human child to be toilet trained and all yes. of these things and the expectations that we put on dogs versus the expectations yeah. we have on kids. And mm -hmm. yeah, you're looking at it like plainly like that, it's just absolutely bonkers when you think about it, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. I, I think oh, that, that comes across in your book really well, which mm -hmm. is why, we, I mean, when we were doing the introduction, we were saying it, we feel it's a, an indispensable resource in that, in terms of that, in terms of getting across the idea that, you know, time, just take some time in it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which so many people don't like. I, you know, I, the reason I, I wrote that originally, I mean, I was asked to write an article, which you know, turned into an eighty-six-page article. Um, <laughs> it's supposed to be a simple two-pager on how do you introduce dogs, but you you can't. No, you can't. Do it's one of those subjects that I bet you sat down and the more you start, 
you just go yeah. end up down all these different yeah. rabbit holes and oh but if that does that then you need to do that instead and you know yeah absolutely and look that book I wrote that you know that was in 2013 I, the original manuscript was 2010 and then I let it sit for a while and then 2013 I, I you know got, got it published um, but now I would it's due for an update it just needs me to sit down and actually write the update from from all of the extra stuff I've learned since then yeah because uh, you know it's constant evolution everything that we do whether you know at the zoo where I work is constant evolution dogs are constant evolution in what we know what we're learning about them um so yeah so there's a revision due it's just I, I think it still holds up brilliantly I mean I know oh, 10 years can be a long time in the yeah. way things move forward but yeah. um there's certainly nothing in here that I think stands out as not still massively yeah, relevant yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah now what I'd probably do is just expand more yeah. the in-home stuff you know when you've got two dogs living together really the in-home stuff is the the most challenging part of it introducing them outside of the home is is the shorter part of the introduction once mm. you get them living in that home and then then if you have a, you know one, one of the dogs whether it's a puppy that you've brought in or an adult dog that's got some behavioral challenges then that you know that can affect the whole dynamics of the the, the household so that's what I'd probably expand on more, how to deal with those kind of things and work through them because that's a source of, you know, massive stress. And, yeah. and I lived through it with my current Siberian girl that I have now. She was she was a very challenging puppy and it, she pushed me to my limits of what of my skill and knowledge and, and I had to go out and seek, you know, the advice of experienced trainers um, to, to, to get my household back to be this, you know, harmonious thing that it is now. But, um, yeah, so there's always stuff to learn and things to add i think um louise has just invited herself to the uk for a conference don't you? <laughs> there you go that sounds that sounds like a brilliant idea so uh, we'll we'll talk afterwards about that <laughs> i think what you said there about um seeking help if you need it is yeah. so important mm. and and to, yes. to hear someone like you like say that you you saw i mean i've i've yeah I've had Nat over before to talk about my dog because sometimes I can't see the wood for the trees. Oh yeah, me too. Me you know too. I mean? You know, we're, uh, when you're that close as well, I think sometimes that's it, right. You can't yes. look at it with that professional eye as as you might Absolutely. do if you're walking in for the first time. Yep. So you go into your emotional brain and out yeah. of your thinking brain. Yeah, yeah. That's yep. That's what I did when, with my two. Um, I, I I introduced a puppy into my house because I lost my beautiful Makari. Um, so the book was kind of written when Makari was around and it was written on the introduction I did with first a Siberian puppy, uh, my own personal introductions, that is, with a Siberian puppy, which which didn't work out, and then a little Shetland sheepdog puppy with a Siberian husky that did work. And then I lost Makari not long um, after, well, writing the book. And then then I introduced uh, just in five years ago a Siberian girl to my household and she was challenging. She has a lot of, she's got quite bad anxiety. She was a dog-to-dog resource guarder. Uh, she wouldn't let my little Shetland sheepdog even drink out of a water bowl. Oh, wow. oh bless. She would, she'd muzzle punch him out of any water bowl. He wasn't, she didn't want him to touch any resource. So we started off as, you know, in the book, you start off with very low value stuff. Mm-hmm. She, if he had anything, she'd rip it out of his mouth. I mean, you know, a lot of it's fairly typical puppy behaviour stuff. But um, my little Shetland had never experienced anything like that because Makari <laughs> was just the most gentle dog in the world. 
and Makari probably didn't set him, my little Shetland, up for what it's like to live with a real dog. <laughs> Baptism of fire. <laughs> <And> now, <laughs> so now he's living with a real dog and then I discovered my little Shetland has quite a temper, oh, um, which yeah. I, you know, which I didn't know that before because he'd never had to use it really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was challenging managing two personalities that were kind of polar opposites. But, I mean, they're best of friends now. They, you know, it, it took about probably 12 to 18 months to get them really stable and settled so I love I love hearing that as a time scale I know we don't want to put labels on it and you know have a a timing but um I think some some people's jaws drop to the floor when you say oh yeah I took so my for for example in my house we had um our rescue collie for a very long time as a single dog and um I was so worried about losing him and falling apart that I thought I need to I need to get another dog to keep me busy I know that's a very selfish way of looking at it but um but it took we took yeah a year 18 months for them to for me to relax and it not feel like uh-huh. we're living in a training bubble at the moment. Um, uh-huh. And uh, a lot of people were surprised at how long I how long I took. It depends on the individuals as well, yeah. really. I mean, That's then, right. you, then you can have exactly. some dogs that just walk in and go, oh, yeah, this is fine. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yep. I mean, my Makari with my little Shetland, that was probably three weeks of uh, Makari going, what, what are you? Why are you here? Um, <laughs> And, but then they were, you know, the little, little Finley, my little Shetland, he just enforced himself on Makari and just said, well, I'm, I don't care, big dog. I'm going to curl up in your tummy, oh. like curl up around your tummy and just, you know, be present. And they, you know, they were best friends. They were great buddies within just a couple of months. Whereas these two, these two used to, uh, Finley and my new girl, Sakara, they played, they would play, but the play would always end in tears. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, because I, she would, Yeah. She'd, I, she'd inadvertently I, just grab him a little bit too hard and being the, yeah. you know, sensitive little little Shetland that he is, then he'd, he didn't know how to say, I don't like that. So he would just launch at her with a full-blown, um, you know, well, literally launch at her. Yeah. She, didn't know how to, she didn't know how to cope with that. I didn't know how to cope with that, yeah. so Doggy swear words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I recently lost my older dog a couple of weeks ago, but we we oh, introduced sorry to hear that. Him, oh thanks, but we yeah. um, we introduced him to our our new addition at the time, a little Jack Russell called Penny, um, mm-hmm. and and they le- they learned to live together. I wouldn't say they're the, the best of friends, but they had a similar kind of relationship when they would play quite sparingly, always mm-hmm. in, always instigated by Penny, always always. Yeah. Um, yeah. but he never really knew how to play and he was too big mm-hmm. and he would, you know, slap it bring up, which brings to mind the, the brilliant section of your book about different play styles and yes. how to identify what play styles that your dogs have. Exactly. So important. That part of the it book, is. which I really, really enjoy. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, a lot of people don't think about that and, and it is important. Um, and obviously all the play style information, I, you know, I, I referenced the wonderful books that, that I kind of learned a lot of that from and then went out and, you know, watched behaviour. And having incompatible play styles is like having two completely incompatible people, like, like say, the close talker when you're, when you're you know, you're spatially yeah, conscious yeah, yeah. and you've yeah. got a close talker in your face. And it's the same with play styles because dogs have got very specific play styles. I mean, Siberian Huskies, they love to hip slam. Yeah. They love it. That's yeah. that's their one, you know, they love that play style. But that's really off-putting to other dogs. They're like, what the heck are you doing? Yeah. Um, my little Shetland, he, he likes just gentle play. He would prefer to, 
chase his ball. I mean, obviously, as a working dog, he, he just preferred to do his own thing now and chase his ball. But as a puppy, he preferred much more gentle play and more kind of, you know, gentle, mouthy play. So, I mean, I had to teach my Siberian girl to, if you want to play with him, you have to lie down. You lie yeah. down and we just do a little mouthy play. Oh, that's, uh, and, you that's know, interesting because that's yeah. what we were doing with Scooby. We would always encourage him to lay down. And, yes, and Penny, yeah. our little Jack Russell, would get on the sofa to be at the right kind of level <laughs> as well to play with him. It's fascinating to watch. I can yeah. watch that stuff yeah. all day long. Apart from, of course, yeah. it would end in tears if you didn't, <laughs> you know, get yeah. involved in there at some point. But That's right. Yeah, you've got to kind of micromanage. You've got to be a yeah. helicopter mum yeah. and micromanage that play because, you know, and I, and I say that to my clients, you can't, if, it, when you, if you've got a good, well-socialised dog, you have to be present. You've got to manage the yeah. play. So important. You, you can't just let them just go for it and, and work it out. Um, you know, I, I remember a few people said to me previously, like, you, you oh, don't get involved in the dog stuff, Louise, when the dogs are interacting, when you're introducing a new dog. Just let the dogs work yeah, out. But you, you can't let them work it out. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's in tears. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's stressful for the dog. So m- managing them. Uh, and you know, teaching, giving, giving them ways that they can safely interact, and finding what what that is. You know, I, I worked out for my current two that when my Siberian girl was young, a safe game that they could play was running around the couch. Yeah, <laughs> my Cyb girl would chase Finley around the couch, and they they were happy playing that game because he was faster than her. She couldn't catch him. It wore her out as a puppy. Um, and it kind of stopped that really full-on mouthy, grabby play because he doesn't like grabby play. Uh, so, yeah, so working out what works for those dogs. But, yeah, I mean, as going back to the play styles, if you've got a dog that, if you've got like a German Shepherd that loves to use their legs for play and then you've got, uh, you know, a softer dog like a Shetland Sheepdog, it's it's just too much for them. Yeah. Um, whereas German Shepherds and Siberians can often play quite well and, you know, there's other dogs that are quite pawsy, like boxers play yeah. a lot with their paws. Yeah. Uh, sure. So just, yeah, finding what works and really having a look. We were talking a little, uh, a little bit about the uh, wolfhound. You slap. guys have frozen, so I oh, think yeah. I've lost you. I can still hear. We can, can still, still hear, hear you, you but yeah. you're frozen. So oh, there we go. Are you, are you okay? Yes. You're back. Yeah, yes. back. we're <laughs> back. Back in the room. <laughs> just, my, internet, my internet connection was unstable. <laughs> no, you're you, you're okay. You haven't broken up um, too much so oh, far. So. Um, yeah, we were talking earlier because I've just taken on a, an Irish wolfhound rescue, mm. and. Um, so I'm learning about his play style, which is very different to my lurcher hound. So they both have the same houndy type behaviours. They like chasing um, and it's very consensual. But um, the wolfhound has a splat. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, that, that that's not so uh, well taken um, with some of the dogs. And so it's, it's managing him. And I think basically it's knowing your dog isn't it and knowing the limitations of their what they want from a social interaction mm-hmm. and not being afraid to go do you know what that dog's going to be a complete nightmare as a match for my dog mm-hmm. because yeah. i know they're going to want to bump hips and my dog doesn't like that or exactly yeah that's right because yeah and you know and um to have a dog for us we can get out of the house we can if we if we if you're living with a housemate that annoys you you can go, you can take yourself out of the house, you can shut yourself in your room, or you can move house. But for our dogs, we bring a dog into our household and the dogs are stuck there. They're yeah. stuck there together. They didn't have the choice. They didn't, you know, like we, we, we put so much on our dogs and expect them to just cope with it. Situations that we could not cope with ourselves. And, and I tried to stress that in the book about, you know, living with, um, and it was actually one of my friends that said to me, 
that you know if you've got a dog that's getting harassed if you've got an older dog that's getting harassed constantly by a puppy she said domestic violence yeah. and i really had to kind of stop and think about that and go oh my gosh you know what yeah that that poor dog if you do no management and a lot of people don't they don't mm-hmm. they just let that puppy or let that juvenile constantly harass the older dog if you don't do management or put management in place to to give them time out to to help with those social rules between the two dogs it is extremely stressful you've got a dog that's saying i need space i need to, you to give me space you've got another dog that maybe you know if it's a puppy they don't yet have that social sort of development and yeah. maturity to be yeah. able to, to read what the other dog's saying yeah. and it's it's very stressful it means the puppy's learning learning um you know I, and i've seen puppies that have had an older dog be very rough with them and very um you know, showing a lot of kind of defensive behaviours to them. That puppy, I've seen them then grow up to then show those same behaviours to other yeah. dogs that they're trying mm-hmm. to play with uh, to the point where one dog that I that I saw, um, she was a gorgeous little Siberian Husky. She, when she was taken to the park as a puppy, was constantly rolled by, by a Doberman, constantly. And it was horrific to watch. But the owner, is, you know, you can only intervene so much. The owner needed to take responsibility. As an adult she aggressed at other dogs routinely until the, to the point where she could no longer come to the park. And I truly believe it was that early learning yeah. of how, so how sad, other dogs interacted it? with her. Yeah. That's going to affect yeah. the rest of her life and her off lead freedom and, yeah. you know, missing out yeah. on those really important social um, experiences. And I think um, it it's sometimes hard for us as professionals to get the, the balance across of, um, no, you don't need your puppy to be told off by an older dog in order to learn good social skills you need to step in and help them get it right from the offset really yeah Um, absolutely yeah no totally agree we do sometimes get concerned and we talked about it on the last podcast with uh clive win about you know being being the fun sponge when you're talking to everyone you know what i mean like (laughs) you know that was it debbie downer debbie downer he calls it It's, yeah, yeah, because sometimes you do. You feel like when you're working, you know, you're constantly telling people, no, you need to do this, you need to manage this. Yeah, I'm talking about yeah. management, I should be on commission for stairgate companies. Yeah. I think people are often quite surprised when you when you suggest leaving your dogs not together when you go out, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, people seem absolutely flabbergasted by that that I talk to sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. it seems like a no-brainer to me, but I, I don't... It's always that constant thing. How do we get the education out there? How do we, you know, get that's it? That's right. Yeah, you know, which is why we're here. I yeah, guess, we get it? everyone to buy this Ooh. book. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, some, something that um that I just wanted to talk about, which again is something that I thought was really really nice about the book, um, was we there's a little bit of talking about adoption centres in there uh, and mm-hmm. and how they can play a part. In it, I mean, in in the time that it's taken. So you said you started writing the book in two thousand and ten ish, was it? You started ten, writing it yeah. To now, so a decade, a decade's passed. Do, do you see the role that adoption centres have um, uh, are playing now as, as being better now in terms of like assessing dogs and things like that? Or, or I mean, we were talking about when we and we were saying that sometimes um, it, it, because of the because of how quickly they like to get them out of these centres, especially in the UK. Sometimes it can be almost like they're set up to fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I in, in because of 
because my full-time job is that, you know, working at Taronga and then my part-time dog training business and then my own dogs. And then I've now got a dog with lymphoma. So all the cancer care is taking up a lot of time. So I don't tend to do an awful lot of work with um, shelters and rescue groups. I get a lot of rescue dogs in my classes and as my private uh, clients, but I don't tend to do an awful lot with them. But certainly some of the larger organisations do great behavioural assessments. Sure. So Animal Welfare League and some of the RSPCAs, you know, particularly like I'm, I'm right near one um, in New South Wales, they do good behavioural assessments and they try, obviously, because they don't want to see these dogs coming back. No. They, want, they try to do um, match people to dogs. And, and that's why, you know, I do strongly advocate for being able to take your dog to meet the prospective rescue dog, yeah. shelter dog. You yeah. don't know what their socialization history has been. Also, you know, obviously uh, caution people as well. So I don't know how many people I've seen come to a dog park that have got, Oh, I've got a brand new rescue dog. I thought I'd test it out here with these socialized dogs. Yeah. No, yeah. not the yeah. place to do that. You can damage these beautifully socialized dogs that people work so hard to, to get them friendly and social with other dogs by bringing in a completely unsocialized dog that is going to be rude or, or could be, could cause them injury. Mm. And that's it. You've traumatized these, these dogs. So um, yeah, I, I always, you know, caution people, if without if you don't know their socialization history it, it can be challenging to get that rescue dog in um, but the organizations that have done those temperament tests that are behavioral assessments probably better term to use those people or those places you know have assessed them with other dogs so they're the safer places to get a dog from yeah um, i mean i often find that with with rescue dogs people get them home and or they see them in the shelter and they're one way but then by eight weeks down the track yeah. once the dog's starting to settle into the home the full spectrum of their behaviors are now starting to come out and that's when they often call me and say hey you know that the relationship between the two dogs was great for the first eight weeks but now yeah. all of a sudden yeah. this is happening like yeah, yeah that's yeah so, so common, you know so common to yeah, yeah it is yeah and it's i find it's always from that eight week mark because i could almost say have you had the dog for eight weeks yep <laughs> and that's yeah. when the behavior issues are starting but um yeah so you do need to obviously you know be cautious and and find a, a place that is going to allow you to bring your current dog um and it's important that both dogs and i try and stress that in the book that you their stress stress levels affect introductions if your dog is stressed being at the rescue place because it you know it's there's dogs barking and it's so much smell there it's I'd be overwhelming with the amount of smell there yeah and yeah. and the smell of stress dogs as well yeah. you know um and how much so it's scent to, plays a part in it as well yeah, yeah 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 so i mean i use scent a lot in with the work that i do at the zoo for introductions and i think we don't use it enough for domestic dogs we need to use scent a lot more um, I know that I, I certainly advocate if you're getting a, a new puppy and bring it home that you take, if the breeder will allow you, take scented items from home to the puppy and then take scented items from the puppy to your home and do that uh, many times before you bring the puppy home. Yeah, I think that's really and good advice. And I think maybe um, it's kind of more general knowledge of the one-way scent. So bringing something that the dog has had from its home to the new home but maybe yes. the other way is the one that's slightly yeah. less um well yes. accepted um yeah because you know even if and I, I love the way you put it as well is even if your dog has lived with another dog with no incident it doesn't make your dog 
social with every every dog <laughs> you right. know yeah um, and people people think that that so a socialized dog is a dog that lives with another dog it's yeah. not that is not a socialized dog i mean that that dog is socialized with with the one it lives with but it does not mean that they will accept an unfamiliar dog you have you you know throughout your dog's life they need to be constantly meeting other friendly dogs ideally to, to keep up that socialization you know it's, it's an ongoing pro- people think it's oh well i socialized it as a puppy for the first you know 16 weeks yeah uh, and then it's lived in social isolation it should be fine to have another dog live with it full time um it's a big thing to share to share your things your space your people your everything with another dog if you are you know a dog living in a home but yeah so it's constantly getting out meeting new dogs all the time throughout their lifetime because you you lose social skills, just like people lose social skills. If we all just sit on social media at home and we're only typing to each other mm-hmm. and no one talks to each other or meets face-to-face, <laughs> you lose social skills. Yeah. yeah. And different social interactions teach you new ways of coping with different, yeah. um, you know, different conversations, basically. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah. Getting that feedback from others, like, yeah. you know, for people. I'm a supervisor at work and I say that to my staff as well when they're trying to give feedback to someone like read their body language read what their face is and their body is telling you when you're giving the feedback so you know how to how to change and alter what you're saying you know so it's what what you're saying is effective um and because you want to keep it positive you want the person keep listening so watch their body language and same with dogs like they can't to socialize with other dogs they have to be you know getting feedback from the other dogs you know depending on what they do if i do this what happens um and they can't do that if they're, you know, just living with their own little, you know, their friend and, yeah, at home. They've got to be out there meeting new dogs. Yeah. So you mentioned something there that I wanted to ask you about as well, um, yeah. mainly to justify my addiction to buying dog beds. Um, so... <laughs> I have a bit of an addiction as well, so we're probably not good people to be talking. <laughs> I say to my husband, well, it, it was on offer and also we've got another dog now, so we need more options for them. Um, but, um, so in the, the kind of appendix section where it's the, the practical help sheets um, yeah. about enrichment toys, you say, yeah. you know, six to eight per, I'm sure that's yeah. uh, just to make it obvious that you need more, you need multiple yeah. per dog. Yeah. Um, so can you reassure me that that also counts for um, water bowls, dog beds, yes, toys? Yes, yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Okay, there we go. Yeah, like I have <laughs> my my house, probably, I don't know if it looks like yours in terms of beds, but I have two beds on the floor in my bedroom, plus they sleep on my bed, plus I've got a now, because my little Shetland's, um, he gets very hot because he's on prednisolone for his cancer. So he's got now four cooling mats around the house there's another two beds in the tv room and another two beds in the hallway so i've got two dogs and i've got a minimum of six actual dog beds plus the lounge plus my bed um you know so okay and water bowls yeah i can same with i can go tomorrow then i can go tomorrow and do more shopping (laughs) (laughs) okay things came to a head in my house where we got what is is, is known as the king bed for um for my late scooby and it, it was a, a brilliant bed that one of my clients gave me, probably because it was too big for her house. But <laughs> it sat in front of our sofa. I'll have to see if I can get a photo to put it on our Facebook page. 
and we we would have to contort ourselves around it just to move around our living room <laughs> but he loved it so much we couldn't bring ourselves to no, move it, it was it was a good bed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a huge great bed and the idea was he was getting older so he could stretch out if he needed yeah. to but all he ever did was curl up in one corner of it like, you know, <laughs> he probably could have fit another seven dogs on the bed by the end of it but it was quite a thing but i'll have to find a photo of it <laughs> Water bowls, like I, I, I've never had a dog that splashes out all the water from water bowls, and my current girl does that. She doesn't do it so much now because as a puppy, I had to retrain her not to, um, just because we had no. It's like where I used to live in summer; it's really hot, and I didn't want a splashing. What's she doing? Pouring, pouring at it then? Pouring it, yeah. So from an eight-week-old puppy, she's in there. She poured out every (laughs) bit of water all over the house. So I had to buy travel bowls for the house so she couldn't get her feet in and splash all the water out. But I now still have a minimum of two water bowls in the house and in the yard um, there's a minimum of three water bowls and they're all, you know, one's a big stainless steel bucket that's clipped to a fence so she cannot knock it over and it's harder for her to get it in. (laughs) Because, you know, that was a worry for me that in summer she might empty out every water bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Actually, this summer, because it's so hot here this summer, she's just started doing the behaviour again. So I've come home a few Mm -hmm. times in my kitchen where one of the water bowls is and I'm like, oh, gosh, you guys drank a lot. Oh, no, you didn't because the water's all over the floor. Is it to cool her off? Yeah, she likes to cool herself, yeah. So even though there's water in the yard, um, she's because my dogs are indoors pretty much all the time with a doggy door to go out if they want, Um, and they generally don't because I've got cameras on them. They're like, no, we're we're in the house all day. We just, you know. (laughs) They maybe pop outside once while I'm gone, at, while I'm at work for the day. I, but yeah, I, that's, love, it's I, I love dog cams for that reason. You know, yeah. we all we, we all can be a bit neurotic about our pets, I think, because, you know, yeah. we worry that they're settled and they're okay at home alone. Yes. And invariably I check in and they're just all asleep and it's very boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah, it's what I want. Asleep. But <laughs> Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. It's, yeah, nothing worse than seeing... You know, if you've got a new dog watching that dog and one of the ladies at work has just gone through this, she's just got a new 16-week-old little calf puppy from a rehome from a breeder and he'd never been home alone. He's lived with oh, umpteen million dogs yeah. at the breeder's place and now he's on his own. And for the first few weeks, she watched him with the camera set up, watched him pacing the house, not really oh, settling. Oh, so sad. But now, God love him, he's fast asleep, sprawled on the floor. We're both comparing notes with our cameras yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, that's great. When you see them settled... It just warms your heart, yeah. yeah. I always say that, you've, uh, worst case scenario, you spend £40 just to watch your dog sleeping all day. <laughs> 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 well, um, well, I think we'll wrap things up, if that's okay with you, Louise. Thank yeah. you so much for talking to us. Yeah, thank you. It's been, it's, been, it's been brilliant. I really appreciate it. And um, are you working today? Have you got the weekend off? Well, no, I'm actually heading out. It's, it is my weekend off from my full-time job but now today on this on saturdays i always do my private consult so i've only got morning consults today because it's going to be 45 degrees wow. here in oh sydney oh my goodness wow yes yeah, so yep so all my consults are restricted between 8 30 and 12 today and then then i'll be home with my own dogs they'll be in the air con and i'll be out there in the heat but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah but then but then after that i'll have a bit of downtime which is lovely good oh, good <laughs> well thank you so much um for joining us yeah, um, thank obviously you. the art of introducing dogs available widely available isn't it oh, we'll yeah our copy on amazon yeah on amazon yeah. and um we'll we'll send you a link of our full podcast it'd be lovely if you could have a little listen and see what you think excellent i think you yeah. need to write another book about husbandry <laughs> that's one i'd like to that's definitely one i'd like to read 
About zoo zoo husbandry. Yeah. 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 I, I, I should find do. That fascinating. In the twenty five years, and I've, uh, the the stories that I can tell. There you go. Yeah. yeah. The there things you go. that I've learned. Or start yeah. your own podcast. There you go. Bit easier. <laughs> a little bit easier. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Louise. Yeah, thanks, Louise. My pleasure. Have lovely, a lovely meeting you both. Yeah, you and too. Thank you so much for showing interest in my book. Like, it, yeah, it's just, to me, it's just extraordinary that you found it and, you know, considering it because I self-published it. So, yeah, thank oh, you so you? much. Oh, that's, bri- oh, that's, no, that's brilliant. Well, you know, hopefully more people will, will get themselves a copy because it's, it's well worth Excellent. it. So thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you, guys. Right. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye. 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 See you later. Bye. Well, there we have it. She was a bit lovely, wasn't she, in our interview? Uh, what yeah. a brilliant book to to choose. I'm glad I chose it. <laughs> <laughs> if you do say so yourself. If I do say so myself. Which you are, in this case, and only in this case, very welcome. Okay, good. So. Thanks. <laughs> it was brilliant. So brilliant, and uh, um, yeah, the the wealth of knowledge in there. Again, small book. Um, you, you go out there and buy. It. If you if you are thinking of getting another dog, any any interactions, just go and get it. Yeah, I think I even just going down the park and watching dogs together. Yeah. it's just it, it'll give you a, a new insight into watching um, your dog interact with other dogs. It's amazing of a species that we share so much of our lives with, mm. and. And more knowledge is better. The more knowledge, the more we will grow, the more our relationships will grow. <laughs> Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. It's been a tough week. You know. It's been a really tough week. It has. It has. But moving on. Questions? <laughs> Tell me what you... Oh, no. I can't. No. It's too high. I'm not even going to try it. So two questions. Um, right. I'm questioning you. Oh God! This okay, week, live. Oh no! Okay, hang on. I, I mean, I am in the swivelly chair, I so it is a bit like mastermind. Tense music. Yeah. Dun 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 dun. So question number one, um, and this is something that I know is uh, close to your heart. Um, how do you know if your rescue dog has been assessed properly? So, say you're thinking of bringing the rescue dog back. There's another dog there. We, we were talking about bite inhibition, play styles. Mm-hmm. There you go. Hmm. I'm going to go and make myself some food. Okay, yeah, that. just leave me here with the mic. Um, <laughs> how do you know if your potential rescue dog that you're going to be adopting has yes. been assessed properly? Yeah, or what? maybe what sort of questions should you be asking? What should you be looking out for? That sort of thing. Yeah, well, I I would want to have observe that dog. And if I didn't have the skills to know what I was looking at and analyse behaviour, then I'd be asking someone else as well. So I think involve as many people yeah. as you can that have uh, maybe um, the same or more expertise than you have of, of reading body language. Um, I certainly wouldn't go on um, blanket um, written summaries of, of dogs. Mm. Um, I also would question um, dogs that um have maybe been fostered or are of a very young age and have you know a tick in the box next to um children for example or cats if they haven't lived in an environment with those those things um because you you just can't safely uh see how how uh, a dog is going to react to those unless they're sort of living it really um 
And I think that going to a reputable rescue charity, most of them now are certainly moving towards a lot more behavioural support um, and, you know, giving people a very honest view of the dog and whether they might match the the person's lifestyle. Um, And particularly when there's other existing dogs involved, there's usually meet and greets. And, you know, that could be over four, five, six sessions, however long it takes for um, the staff to be confident that um, it's going to be manageable. It doesn't mean that it's done and you then go home with both dogs and stick them in the boot together and they curl up together on the sofa and live happily ever after. I'm sure there are stories like that. Um, But, yeah, I think I would want... I, I, I would want to hear from the rescue organization that they're not necessarily in a in a hurry yeah yeah you know? and i think we we there's ways and means of getting dogs in a hurry yeah nowadays and i would i would at the very least ask people to approach that with a lot of caution because yeah. there's a reason why this process takes time and it may be frustrating and you, you may have to jump through loads of hoops and you might not be able to get exactly what you want and all of those things. But there, there's a big reason for it because working in the profession, we see the fallout of when things have gone too quick without any assessment, Yeah. you know, door-to-door drop off sort of rescues and things along those lines. Yeah. I mean, I've had experience with a lot of rescues in my time, last one being the Blue Cross, and they were very thorough. Yeah. And even then they knew that I was a dog trainer as yeah. well at the time, but they still, every... Every box was ticked, you know. They've got, you know, strict policies in, sure. in place. And I know that um, the RSPCA centre near me, um, the staff are absolutely wonderful yep. and they are willing to work with people and, and meet dogs off site if it is stressful for them. Yep. And, you know, take take the time to see how a relationship might or might not work. Um, and they're very um, honest about that. And I think... Um, Perhaps one of the questions I would ask if I was looking to adopt a a rescue dog would be, what's the support afterwards? Because a lot of the um, places where I've worked with clients and they've sourced their dogs from particular places, there's no ongoing behavioural support. Yeah. Um, and so the dog's then in your home and what, what do you do then? You know, what happens if it goes wrong? Yeah. What, what if these dogs don't get on? Um, so sometimes that can be quite telling. What mechanisms do the rescue organisation have in place for if there is a, a breakdown in relationship or if it just doesn't yeah. work? All um, questions you should be asking. Yeah. And, you know, any, any good rescue organisation should be happy to exactly. have you ask questions. And they, they will, yeah, they, yeah. they definitely will. Um, yeah. So I think, like with with most things, it is hopefully going to be a... a you know, lifelong commitment for your that you're going to give your dog, yeah. and so waiting a month, two months, three months is, in the grand scheme of things, no. is is much better. I think we live in this world, don't we, where we want it, get mm. it now, sort of scenarios. And yeah, yeah, it doesn't that doesn't work with dogs, or I mean, you know, obviously every dog's different, but you know, uh, that would send alarm bells ringing. Yeah in my head if I could get a dog dropped on the door within a couple of weeks or whatever yeah no questions asked but yeah yeah perfect um the other question not not so much a question this one more more I wanted to hear your opinion on it because there's a lovely uh 
a quote. Um, and I could have I could have saved this for the quote section, but I've got four million quotes, <laughs> so I'm going to throw it in yeah. here. Uh, because you know my role's my podcast well yeah you, you, you make it up as you go along mate that's absolutely fine <laughs> I, so here's a quote I commonly hear owners commenting that their dog is just playing when what I am seeing is one dog being bullied by another and the bully failing to respect the other dog's signals to back off uh, yeah so story of our lives isn't it mate? thoughts on that yeah. and maybe the question is why no um, <laughs> uh how how do we educate people on that? It's always the big one, isn't it? I guess, but yeah, you'd be yeah. How do you be more responsible, dog owners? I think that probably in real life, if we're talking, you know, out in public, and a dog runs over to you and is being quite bullish in in wanting to interact with you and your dogs, um, that's very different to. Um, a sort of more set up managed um scenario where let's say like your your puppy conversations yep. you're there as the kind of crash leader aren't you mm-hmm. to say okay that's getting a bit too much and that that, that play yeah that play has <laughs> crash leader <laughs> that that play has tipped over and is no longer consensual and so they're yep. going to let's go off and do some separate things with the dogs um it's very hard to do that in public because um the the other owner maybe doesn't see the problem with it and yeah. uh, unfortunately it's one of those frustrations that um you just have to vote with your feet and clip your dog's lead on and off you go toddle off yeah and Ta-da. i know that sounds a bit defeatist but what else are you meant to do in those situations because if if someone genuinely is not aware that their dog is not playing and they're learning bad skills and they're rude um in terms of you know dog um communication um then unless they're a a paying client then i'm gonna i'm gonna vote with my feet and the consequences that that i leave and i get my dog to a place of safety because as much as you desperately want to say well actually your dog is doing this and my dog doesn't like rude dogs and this that and the other it's likely to end in a conflict isn't it so (laughs) and you're likely to hear the buzz the buzz phrases aren't you yeah that's my dog being dominant yeah he needs to be told he needs to be yeah yeah yeah, he needs to be told he'll soon learn and you know you can't think well actually i don't want um your dog to learn the consequences of um being rude by my dog having to lose their temper you said something brilliant earlier on about no in in any situation (laughs) i mean it's the first time for in any situation uh ask yourself what's your dog learning from this you know, and and that's the that's the kind of that's the kind of takeaway thing that you've always got to kind of ask. You know, yeah. what are they what are they learning from this? What sort of are they having a good time? Are they learning something that I don't particularly want them to learn? Yeah, you know, all of those things. So, and there are, you know, hundreds and thousands of dogs out there that get walked in social parks every day, and will probably have the skill set to deflect the attention of a, a rude, boisterous dog. Yeah. Um, like groove sniffing. <laughs> exactly yeah um should they be t- having to do that day in day out no that's the question you know and the only way you can protect them from that is choo- you choose where they walk you yeah. choose who they mix with and so you know quality of quantity well done thank you Steve Hi. <laughs> looking forward um, our next episode is uh, going to be with the amazing uh, Zazie Todd. I know, I can't wait to speak to her. 
Uh, we are. I have got. It's a little bit of a boast here because I've got an advanced reader's copy. You're na, special. Na, 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 na. Special. <laughs> um, of her book, Wag the Science of Making Your Dog Happy. Now, this book ain't even out yet, ladies and gentlemen. It's due for release in March. Have you got um, to keep it in a locked safe so that it doesn't get leaked? Uh, yes. Have you signed a non disclosure agreement like no, you know, these Hollywood peeps do? I, I haven't. Should I have? Now I feel nervous. <laughs> So I plagiarise it. put it back somewhere <laughs> safe. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, absolutely thrilled to be sent an advanced reader's copy. Um, I know, how exciting is that? I'm really looking forward to talking and, um, to Zazie. has got a great uh, Facebook page called Companion Animal Psychology. I know. I've been delving into it over the last um, couple of months and it's really good. So um, we'll post a link to it on our page so you can have a little nosy on there as well and it's one heck of a book as well it is has she got an audio book can you cheat <laughs> I don't know uh, well it's not getting released We're, got, oh got, yeah it's not out yeah, so you can't I haven't got that option oh you've got to read it no with option. your eyes yeah, not you, your ears if you haven't got an audio book Zazie then uh, I know someone who could read one for you <laughs> is that your audio yeah. book oh my god I don't listen to audio books is that what Do they sound like you like dogs <laughs> Yeah. I'm miss- missing out on something clearly. I'm missing out on something, but yeah, I mean this. I I haven't delved into it yet. Um, I've got it in front of me, but I haven't yet. But I'm just looking at it. It's like a one-stop shop for just everything you need to know about dogs. Looking at it, oh my word, it looks pretty good. Yep. So there we go. Um, so next episode is with uh, Zazie Todd. Wag the science of making your dog happy. You could pre-order that now. You could. If you were feeling... Uh, How professional of you to mention. Feeling frisky, I was going to say. <laughs> well, it is payday. Well, there you go. Yeah. Payday. Woo! So thank you so much for coming and listening to us again. Thank um, you. Hope you've been enjoying it. Uh, please share, spread the word, leave us reviews if you haven't already on any of the platforms where you find the podcast. It really, really does help us. Um, and send us any questions. We'll we'll yes. get on it because we said last time that we put up our reading list, didn't we? So yes. we will get on that and and do it. Um, and then you can get reading with us. Basically. Well, we're going to start doing some show notes. Apparently, that's a thing you need to do with podcasts. Okay, we're learning as we go. People. Yeah, we're learn by doing. Go. That's yeah. how I like okay. to do things. Um, so yeah, so show notes they're going to be available soon. But yeah, any questions, fire them at us. Um, any complaints, Natalie Light at. Uh, <laughs> Never gets on. <laughs> oh god, so predictable, so predictable. I got a surprise for that next episode. I might have made Nat her own little tiny theme tune. Oh my goodness! Yeah, but I'm keeping it a secret for next episode. So there you go. There's something to uh, come back. I'm gonna try and forget about it so yeah. I can do a surprise. You will want to forget about <laughs> it. <when you laughs> Is it gonna be an earworm like the other? Like mm. I, I do find myself singing it now. It's just as a, a slight spoiler. When I was singing it in my little recording studio the other day, Corin came in and said that sounds horrific. That's a quote. Wow. Horrific. What, what a review. Yeah. I mean. She didn't. She didn't hear the whole thing. Oh, there's it, a concept to it. Yeah. Okay, it's less she caught you out of context, did she? She did. Just screaming. The, the horrificness was out of context. Okay, well. So yeah, look forward to that. Can't wait. Can't wait, mate. <laughs> I think it's actually really complimentary. Okay. Can it be horrific and complimentary? I guess so. If anyone can pull it off, you can. Well, it's so happening. we'll see. <laughs> I'll have that on my gravestone. If anyone can pull it off, Steve can. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. See you next time. Bye.